And welcome back to another brand new episode of Too Much Podtar. Today is April 7th, 2020, and I am here to talk to you again about this day in baseball history. As we look back on the biggest things that happened on each day in baseball history, as we look forward to, obviously, the season starting and you know, just yesterday, we actually got some kind of news that they're trying to work on a potential getting back baseball in May, but I don't know how likely it's going to happen, but now they've talked about it, like, it's just, it's still going to be talked about a lot. There's not going to, nothing set in stone, of course, yet, but they're saying that it's, they can potentially do it, um, obviously no fans it would be no fans and they're saying playing in Arizona potentially having an electronic strike zone so the empire can be far enough away having the players sit in the stands so they can properly social distance six feet apart and having seven inning double headers to have have it be closer to 162 games for the whole season and I don't I mean obviously that might just be if they did do it, I don't think they would have set double headers all the time, either every day. Maybe one, a couple a week, but I don't. It would still, I think regular games probably would be nine innings, but double headers would be seven innings. But I don't. I'm not totally against because I think they did it in the minor leagues. They did they do seven inning double headers in minor leagues. It's not that big of a deal. Seven like you still get fourteen innings of a game like for double header as long as it's as long as the double headers are like you can. Uh, Go to both games. Uh, I forget the word, but as long as you can go to both games, I think that's fine. I'm good with that. As long as you can pay for both and go to both, that's not even that bad. Honestly, I don't care at this point. As long as we get baseball back, I, I'm good with anything. If it's and even if they start in May and do that for the beginning, they can still just go back to regular schedule. Whatever. They could still go back to regular schedule as we get later into the season. I don't think they would have to do that the whole season, especially if they start in May. And, I mean, if this whole virus is, you know, it, I feel like they could still potentially have, you know, back to normal, hopefully maybe by even August or something, and they could still have a bit, like, they could have fans maybe in August, September, potentially, in the playoffs, and they wouldn't have to do worry about going to a, a neutral site if they end up play, like if they end up having a full season and having that go until September or even October they can still have it at, a, at the regular stadiums and even November even if it goes to November I think they could still do that they have they can play cold games it's not that big of a deal to play at cold like cold games at Yankee Stadium in the playoffs or something like that so anyway yeah it's kind of just news from yesterday last night. And then also another some other news. Al Al Kaline uh, also passed away yesterday at eighty eighty five years old. The the Tigers legend, and he's the true. He's really he's the true Tiger King, of course. And he was so beloved by Tigers fans. And just even baseball fans in general. He died peace. He just died peacefully at his home. 
and the cause of death was not immediately available. They don't know what it is, but it's. I don't think it was anything to do with obviously the virus. I think it was just natural causes, and he was definitely Mr. Tiger. He played twenty two years there. He was played right field. He played more games, hit more home run home runs than anybody in anybody else in their history. And his, you know, his batting resume was second only to Ty Cobb. He was definitely a solid player. And so, yeah, that's, but that's kind of some of the news from a couple days, from the last couple days. You know, as we get, we get some new news, uh, whatever news about stuff that goes on. I will share that on this podcast along, along with going back in time and looking at history. That's gone. George Brett is just over it, and Billy Martin and the Yankees want the bat. Look at Martin. Well, what they're talking about, Frank, is that he's got too much pod tour. <laughs> way, way too much pod tour. Now let's jump in to today in history. Uh, let's go back to 2012. A couple things that big things that happened here, like. Uh, Octavio Dotel, he played for his 13th MLB team, which broke an MLB record at playing for that many teams. Uh, he played for <clears throat> he played for, and that was a record that he previously shared with Mike Morgan, Matt Stairs, and Ron Valone. And he was he played for before that. He played for the Mets, Astros, A's, Yankees, Royals, Braves, White Sox, Pirates, Dodgers, Rockies, Blue Jays, and Cardinals. And that season he played, he was playing with the the Red Sox. And also in 2012, Prince Fielder in his 1,000th MLB game, he hit two home runs off Josh Beckett, and that ended up putting his career home run mark at 232. And... Interestingly enough, that was the same. His dad, Cecil Fielder, had the same amount of home runs in the same amount of games. That is a crazy stat that something like that can happen. That his dad had the same number of home runs 232 in 1,000 games. Those are just insane to think about those kind of things. It just, just kind of. Like, how does that happen? Like, just a coincidence like that. It's just crazy to even think about, like, stuff like I talked about yesterday with Ken Griffey Jr. and his dad hitting back-to-back home runs. Stuff like that is just insane. And then go back to 2004. Adam LaBroach had his first two big league hits in one inning, and he was... Now one of eight players to do so in the expansion era, and it's two. There's been two others since then: Oramis Garcia in 2018 and Derek Fisher in 2017. But of course, you know Derek Fisher, he was a member of the 2017 Astros, so I'm pretty sure he knew what was coming. So it's not as impressive for him. Anyway, but Laroche, he had a 12-year career. With the Braves, with the Pirates, Red Sox, Diamondbacks, Nationals, and White Sox, had 255 career home runs. 
So he had a pretty <clears throat> had a pretty solid twelve years. Wasn't anything special, but he was kind of he was stable. And then back to two thousand, uh, the Devil Rays had a ceremony before the game, before the home opener for that season. They retired Wade Boggs' number 12 uniform. And even though he only spent two years in Tampa, but he also, but because of him hitting the first home run in franchise history and also collecting his 3,000 hit, it was special to the team. He's, you know, obviously he was more known for playing with the Red Sox and Yankees, but, you know, he was special to the, the Rays for doing, hitting the first home run and, you know, his 3,000 hit came there. So it's a lot of good. There's a couple other guys that have hit the 3,000 hits, have gotten their 3,000 hit with another team besides their most known teams. And, you know, Alec Pools did it with the Angels. You know, obviously he was known more known for playing with the Cardinals. Ichiro did it with the Marlins, which is kind of weird. I mean, Marlins, he didn't play with until, you know, the last couple, last years of his career. And then uh, Ricky Henderson played and did it with the Padres. Paul Molitor with the Twins. Eddie Murray did it with the Indians. Dave Winfield did it with the Twins, which is, you know, he didn't play with the Twins until, you know, the tail end of his career, but actually it was special to him because it was his, he did it while with his home, like he was, Minnesota was his hometown. So it was definitely a special moment. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't with the team, but it was still he was with the it was his hometown team, so it was still kind of special, obviously. But then most of the other guys that have hit three thousand hits, gotten the three thousand hits, I mean, have all done it with kind of the teams that they've known to be known at known for. So, but those are the you know, the six guys that kinda of did it with teams that they weren't really as known for. I hit got the three thousand hit. And then we'll go back to nineteen ninety three. The Phillies they started three and for the first time since nineteen fifteen. So it took took them you know seventy eight years before getting through <clears throat> three wins to start the season off, which is kind. Of, this is that's crazy. It took them that long to you know three and all that. That's not really that anything that crazy, but it took them that long to get there. And then nineteen eighty seven, Rick Mahler, he tied an NL record by getting his first his third straight opening day shutout. Not third straight, but third third overall opening day shutout. He tied an NL record of with that was as he shared that with Rip Sewell, who did it with the Pirates in 1943, 1947, and 1949, who won and Chris Short of the Phillies, who did it in 1965, 1968, 1970. And then as I talked about a couple days ago, Tom Seaver, the record that he broke to with opening day starts. He made a 16th opening day start to extend that. At 41 years old. 
as he pitched 11 games with the the Mets and three with the three with the Reds before that as he made, and then he made the other ones with the White Sox <laughs> 1986 here with Dwight Evans of the Red Sox he became the first player to hit the first pitch of the season for a home run when he hit a home run on opening day off Jack Morris who I would mention here in two years before two years prior as the next Next thing up, up here is in that year, 1984, Jack Morris threw a no-hitter against the White Sox on a nationally televised game. It was the first Tiger to do that, do so, since 1958 when Jim Bunning did it against the Red Sox at Fenway. And moment there for Jack Morris. Obviously, he ended up having a good career there, too, was with the Tigers. <clears throat> and then also 1984, uh, Dwight Gooden, also known as Doc, he made his Major League debut as 19 years old, and he pitched pretty good five innings, giving up just three hits and one run to earn the victory against the Mets. I mean, I guess as on the Mets against Houston. And he actually got so he was so anxious for the, before the game that he arrived. He arrived so early that he actually jumped the fence to get into the bar park as it was closed. So that's pretty crazy. And then obviously, it's course, of course, it's sad. You know how all the struggles he had with heroin and stuff, and all the drugs, um, just kind of cocaine. Um, I don't know, was it hair? I don't know if it was heroin. I forget. I think it was just cocaine, but. He had struggles a lot with that, and actually got to beat him a couple of years ago. He did a one of those, you know, drug and alcohol session, like one of those meet whatever speeches, and he still struggles with it now. He's sad. He's he's still struggling with drug abuse. And hopefully, he can get it straightened out. He can get through it. He's a good guy. A good player. He was a good player and. Now it's it's tough when people struggle with that kind of thing. Hope they get through it and can get over get get over it. In nineteen seventy nine, another another no hitter, Ken Forsh, who actually had the earliest no hitter at the time in baseball history, which you know it's been. There's been earlier an earlier one since then. It was on a couple a few days ago. It was like April second that somebody did it later. Uh, I forget who, but and it was actually crazy that uh, the year before that his brother Bob actually is a member of the Cardinals threw a no hitter, and they became the first siblings to hit to both hit to both have no hitters in their careers, which is crazy. <laughs> in 1977, kind of. 
interesting one. Doug Alt, Alt of the Blue Jays. He made he was a rookie, made making his debut with the Blue Jays, and he hit his first two home. He hit two home runs at his first two at bats, but then only went on to hit seventeen in his four year career. And then the only other guy ever to do that since then has been Keith McDonald, who did that in 2000 with the Cardinals. Brett Gales, hard hit ball, power alley, left center field, home run! And another one that's interesting, it's uh, the same year, yeah, Al Ward. He became the first player to pinch hit a home run on opening day as the Blue Jays won over the White Sox. And that was the first, and yeah, that was the same game, of course. And that was its first, that gave the Blue Jays their first win in franchise history. And then 1970, the Brewers played their first game in Milwaukee as they become a, became the Brewers that year. You know, opened on the road. Prior to that game, and obviously, it was, I talked about before, they had been previously known as the Seattle Pilots before moving to Milwaukee after just one season as the Pilots in Seattle. And in 1969, a couple things here. Uh, Ted Williams, he made his major, main, managerial debut as they had a record, franchise record, 45,113 fans in attendance for opening day in Washington as he was managing the Senators. But they ended up taking the loss to the Yankees 8-4. to It was with President Nixon in attendance. And he threw out Nixon threw out the first pitch of the game, and then Bill Singer, another record here, kind of not really record, but just the first thing, first time in baseball history. Bill Singer, he became the first major league reliever to officially record a save, and you know back then the pitch relievers, you know, closers, they did more of the. You know, multiple inning saves. He pitched three innings, scoreless innings, to nail nail down the save. And you know, now obviously, closers don't do that anymore. They pitch one inning, and that's it. Usually, maybe one and one and a third, one and two thirds, even two. But they don't. They don't do three anymore. You know, you don't see that anymore. You don't see. You know, uh, <clears throat> they had it back in, even in the nineties. They still did it. But you know, after that, there pretty much wasn't anything. Ma- Mariano Rivera, of course, the best closer of all time, had just one inning. He pitched one inning, played, pitched one, had one pitch cutter, and obviously the first unanimous Hall of Famer in history. And there's always the argument that you know it's it's a closer. Oh, that shouldn't be. 
And that's not like you shouldn't be unanimous, but he's, you know, it is a thing. So it's like, I don't know why maybe people make that argument. Like it's something like that's not as good as a position as others. And even especially if you're the greatest closer of all time, and you're probably the best, not even just closer though, even just best reliever of all time, Mario Rivera. Pitch had one pitch and just dominated with it. So that's yeah, and that's basically it for today. There hasn't there's only anything else to mention here. As this series will be continuing, and make sure you check us check all of our episodes out that we've done over the last few weeks. Continue listening to these as we we move forward and hopefully get baseball back soon. I don't care how they do it. I just want it back. I want to see it. I want to be able to watch it on TV. I want to be able to enjoy the season. Hopefully we get it. And yeah, make sure you follow me on at Alex Keeler on Twitter. Make sure you keep keep uh, reading our articles and you know follow us on the Squirrel Crow. And just a reminder, you can never have too much pod tar. <laughs>